Welcome into episode 26 of the Print Fest DFS podcast. My name is Justin Rue, alongside Scott Bandy, and we are breaking down our week one lineups on DraftKings. Uh, we end up going the same way this week, uh, and we got by by the absolute uh, thinnest of <laughs> margins. We ended up putting up 124.86 to line the cash in the big uh, $25 single entry double up on DraftKings was 123.56. So we end up just sneaking in, um, you know, by 1.3 points down, down there at the end. I mean, Kelsey and Tyreek were just going off and the, the line of cash just kept getting closer and closer. We we're like, Oh my God. Like at one point we were like 12 points above in the third quarter. I was like, all right, well, we're just cruising the victory here. And then it gets closer because Mahomes throws a long bomb to Tyreek. And you're like, oh, my God. And then Kelsey scores a second touchdown. You've like, got to be kidding me. And so you're sitting there sweating it out to the end. But uh, we end up getting by and, and surviving and advancing. Yeah, I think we with the lineup we ended up on, I think, was pro- I, I can't really account for other lineups. But, my goodness, I don't think I've ever had a lineup be duped to the – to the degree that we got duped this week. I mean, holy cow. I mean, I knew it would be popular, you know, going with three studs with the three low-priced value receivers, but holy crap. There had to have been at least a 1,000 lineups in this that were duped. Yeah, so this – in this uh, contest, in this double-up, there was 90 um, – so about 9,200 people. And so the top 4,000 people cash and double their money. And so we finished uh, 3,018. And the, uh, the line of cash, like I mentioned, we were 1.3 points above the line of cash. So there were about a thousand people between us and 1.3 points. So, you know, I, I would say there were probably about a thousand people out of the 9,200 that had the exact same lineup, which, um, you know, shows that I think people are getting sharper. This was, I think, you know, we obviously thought this was the optimal lineup and we ended up rolling with it. Um, and I mentioned, uh, before that, you know, kind of when the the qualitative and the quantitative data kind of comes together, you know, when you punch in an optimal lineup, okay, and so random optimizer just based on projections, okay, that's that's what the objective lineup is. But not every time that lineup is going to be the best lineup to play. Sometimes the math just, um, you know, these projections are fragile and the math just doesn't really check out. Um, but this week, when you run optimals, this was the lineup kicking out and you know, if you build lineups by hand, this was probably the lineup you were landing on. So uh, when those two things kind of come together, that's always, to me, that always uh, screams that it's going to be a good week. And um, it ended up being a good week. We ended up sneaking in the line of cash and, and doubling our money. So um, breaking down this lineup uh, position by position here, we'll start with quarterback. And so really for me, um, at quarterback, it was either Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts. We know we want quarterbacks that can run. And uh, Jalen Hurts was, I believe, th- probably 1,300 or 1,400 less than uh, Kyler Murray in this spot. You know, against the Falcons, we know Hurts can run. He's got the dual threat ability. He ended up running for 62 yards, scoring 28 points. Uh, at 6,400, I thought that Hurts was uh, really, really solid for cash. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I really only considered Hurts and Kyler. I like Josh Allen at the beginning of the week, but I just, you know, the rushing floor is better with Kyler. I like the game environment better for Kyler. Hurts, I thought, projected pretty similarly. The Falcons defense is pretty rough. Um, we know Hurts average was like 60-some rushing yards a game in his four starts last year. 
and we really hadn't seen anything to suggest that that was going to change at all. So it's 6,400 against a, a bad defense in the dome. It was just simply too cheap. And ultimately the reason that I landed on Herbs over Kyler, and I think it's the same for you, is just it made it possible to jam in McCaffrey, Cook, and Kamara. Right, and I fiddled around with some lineups that had Kyler, um, Adams, but then that was coming down from uh, McCaffrey and Dalvin down to uh, Joe Mixon and Najee Harris. And, yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable with Najee Harris and Joe Mixon's workload, absolutely. Uh, but in the spots that McCaffrey and Dalvin were in, it's so hard to fade um, you know, McCaffrey with – I mean, he ended up having nine receptions for 98 yards. Um or nine receptions for 89 yards receiving and then another 98 yards on the ground. I mean, the guy damn near hit double bonus. He scored 27.7 points without scoring a touchdown. I mean, this is what we look for on DraftKings. Um, you know, at 9,500, McCaffrey was probably the strongest play on the slate. And Dalvin, you know, taking on Cincinnati. We know the Bengals can't stop the run. We know Dalvin has a three-down-plus goal line roll. Uh, he ended up being fine. He ended up getting into the box, scoring 21.4. That was okay. You know, at 9,100, it's not exactly what you what you need. But, you know, in cash games, any player is going to score over 20 points on your team. You just lock in those raw points. Um, and then Kamara, uh, you know, without Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith was on. He just got put on IR. There was just – there's just no one there. Um, and so his, his workload is just so locked in. I think he ended up having 20 carries in this game. Uh, didn't exactly get the receiving workload that we would have expected. Only had three receptions for eight yards, but really the Saints didn't even need him. Uh, and they were just pounding the Packers all day long on the ground. So, um, you know, Kamara, again, with his three down plus goal line role, if you can get, I mean, the goal in, in cash games is to get three running backs who have three down plus goal line roles. And no matter what they cost, you just kind of have to fit them in. You can't be messing around with these guys who are two down grinders. You can't mess around with guys who don't catch passes or who don't have roles on the goal line. And so whatever the prices are that you have to pay to get three running backs who have three down plus goal line roles, I think you just have to pay it. I think that's kind of the lesson from here, from this. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think it's fair to say that we ran bad in a couple of these spots too. I mean, McCaffrey did not hit either bonus despite being two yards within the rushing bonus and 11 yards from the receiving bonus. And he didn't get in the box. And he still scored 27 points in it. I mean, this is legit his true floor, I think. And it's even worse because I believe that he had eight receptions for 92 yards at halftime. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he only came out in the second half with one reception, did, did either bonus, and did not get in the box. Um, that was a true floor game with, with from him at 27-7. Uh, yeah, we're never going to see him below 10K again. As long as he's healthy, he will not be below 10K. So he's just someone that we had to play. Dalvin, he saw the workload. He had 20-plus carries in the ground. We might have ran a little hot with the six receptions. He got in the box. But, you know, again, probably for the volume he saw here, it's probably a floor game from Dalvin as well. When we see Dalvin get 25-plus touches in the game, you're going to usually get more than 21 points. Uh, and he was really inefficient on the ground as well. So, um and for most of the game, the game script wasn't there either. So if they, I expect I, – I mean, I said on Friday that I thought this line was terrible. I expected right. Minnesota to just come out and throttle Cincinnati, and it just did not happen. So clearly I was way off on that. Um, and then Kamara, 
again, the story of this game was the game script. I mean, Jameis ended up completing 14 of 20 passes, and he had five touchdowns. Like a third of his passes went for touchdowns. He only threw for 143 yards. They didn't really need Kamara in this game in the passing game. That's why we only saw the three receptions. Um, the rushing load was definitely enticing. If we're going to get 20 carries from Kamara, you know, 18, 20 carries from Kamara, that is really just going to make him difficult to not play week in, week out. Like, I think he's going to really get closer to the McCaffrey range if that happens. So, really, we ran bad, I think, in all three of these spots, and they all still got us 20 touches each. So, um, yeah, I mean, looking back, I still believe this was the optimal lineup. And I guess this is a good point to pivot into the Raheem Mostert conversation. Obviously, it came out Sunday morning that Trey Sermon was inactive and that he had been on the scout team for most of the week, which took all of us by surprise. But the thing for me was I I really am trying to prioritize not allowing late news to affect my judgment and my process for, you know, prior in the week. And I knew that McCaffrey, Dalvin, and Kamara were the three best plays on the board. I knew that the receiver value – allowed us to jam those three in. They have the highest floor and ceiling of any running backs on this slate, in my opinion. And I just didn't feel good about the build that Mostert allowed me to get. And I'll let you get into the specifics of the Mostert play, but I just personally was not coming off any of these three running backs to play Mostert. Um, Plus, I think most people thought this game would be a blowout. Who's to say that Mostert was even going to be left in the game? Um, I mean, it was 38 to 10 at one point. The game script was exactly what we thought it would be. Um, so I don't feel bad about fading Moser in hindsight. Um, I know we still cast with this lineup, but the fact that we ran bad and hit these three floor games and still ended up cashing says all that I think needs to be said about these three running backs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so with Moser, um, you know – I think that, you know, even if the backup running back is out, they're just going to bring another guy and it's going to fill the exact same workload behind him. So uh, it's just, you know, if Mostert has a running back who's out behind him, it's not just like he's like, oh, he's going to get 30 touches now. It's, it's just not the way they uh, use their running backs. He only has one career game, and it was in the NFC Championship game where he's had over 20 carries. So this is not a guy who they're just going to keep giving the ball to over and over and over again. You know, if there's a bunch of scrubs behind him, they'll use the scrubs behind him. Um, and then, you know, Mostert, you know, being like 28% owned, um, which is just, to me, that's just bad in, in cash. Uh, Mostert's almost never a cash play. Um, and so, you know, he ended up scoring two points at 28% owned. Um, so, obviously, we ran um, hot with him, you know, getting hurt, you know, breaking up his knee. I think he tore some cartilage in his knee or something like that. Um so, I, you know, obviously we ran hot with, with Mostert getting injured, but I, I think that Mostert was, uh, for cash, I, I don't think he was a good play. Yeah, and, and I mean, let's just talk through the process real quick. Mostert was 5'8", I think, or 5'9". Mix and Najee were only 6'2 and 6'3". And when I'm going through my process, I know you're the same way. Can we reasonably project Mostert for 20 touches. He's not really been involved in the passing game to this point in his career. The Niners don't really utilize that, that passing attack with the running backs. We know that they like to cycle through the running back room. Last year, we saw Mostert and, you know, 
who was it? Jeff Wilson and Hasty, and I'm probably forgetting another back that was in that room. They like to cycle through the running back room. They don't give anyone too many touches. Like you said, most church seen 20 plus touches once in his career. That is just how Shanahan utilizes his running back room. Yep. And when he's it's not like this guy was 4K. Like he was only 400 more than Mixon or 400 less than Mixon and Najee. Mixon, we knew was locked into a third down role. We, we saw previous history that says that Zach Taylor is going to jam him the ball regardless of game script. I mean, how many times did he have 20 plus touches last year? That was a better game environment for the Bengals, you know, and Mixon smashed yesterday. He ended up with shit close to 30 touches, I think. And then yeah. talking about Najee, we knew Najee was going to play close to you know 90 plus percent of the snaps. They draft him in the first round. He's locked into goal line. He's locked into third down work. And I just feel a lot more confident in the roles of Nixon and Najee than I did with Mostert, regardless of the sermon news. And the last thing I'll, uh, to put a bow on it is that regardless of what we thought Trey Sermon was going to be in this offense, it's a reminder that we don't know half of what we think we know until the games are played. So, you know, Sermon was a seventh-round pick in fantasy, and I like him as a prospect. I know you too as well. I was excited for his potential in this offense, but clearly Shanahan likes Elijah Mitchell and Michael Hasty more for whatever reason. Um, so it's just a reminder that it's not always what we think. It's what, the, you know, Shanahan, the coaching staff thinks, and we just have to you know, take these things with a grain of salt moving forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially with with rookies. We just have no idea, um, you know, early on in the season. So, yeah, I, I thought the running backs in play for cash uh, were the three we played. So McCaffrey, Dalvin and Kamara, um, Joe Mixon and Najee Harris. Now, they all got there outside of Najee, but Najee played 100 percent of the snaps. And um, I would have been fine with the process of playing Najee. Uh, if that's how the salary kind of worked out. So moving over to wide receiver. Um, so obviously, you know, paying up for Dalvin, Dalvin uh, McCaffrey, and Kamara, we have to pay down at receiver uh, to free up some salary. And, um, and the chalkiest play of the slate, I believe he was the highest win player on the entire slate, was Marquez Callaway. And, you know, in this spot, I was never going to fade Marquez Callaway at 3,400 as the wide receiver won on the Saints. Um, a decent enough quarterback with Jameis Winston throwing him the ball. Michael Thomas is gone. Traquan Smith is on IR. There's no one else there. Um, you know, unfortunately, he only ended up having, I think, two targets and um, only had one catch for 14 yards. But, I mean, the Saints just were all over the the uh, the Packers all game long and didn't end up really throwing that often. And, I I mean, obviously we ran cold with this because uh, Jameis threw five touchdowns <laughs> and uh, I think Chris Hogan caught a touchdown. So, you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, we definitely ran, Chris Hogan. <laughs> definitely ran ice cold with um, with Marquez Callaway, but I would absolutely play him again in this spot. Yeah, I mean, he was a projected wide receiver one, and for this team at thirty four hundred, I mean, I think we could have safely projected six targets for him. Um, they have no one else. Deontay Harris, who is he? I didn't, honest to God, know that Chris Hogan was on the Saints. And they have little Jordan Humphrey, like who is he? Troutman, Jawan Johnson called two touchdowns. Like we ran bad the game script. Jameis only had 20 pass attempts. Yes, Callaway was, I, I don't know, but I haven't looked into the, the, the statistics yet, but I assume Jair was probably shadowing Callaway for at least somewhat of this game. 
Um, but at 3,400, he was just such a locked in great play. I did, I have to be completely honest, I did think about fading him to go with the two Moors. Um, but I just simply didn't have the stones to do it because I knew how how much of a great spot Howley was in for a 3.4 price tag. And it's another place where we just ran a little bit cold. So the fact that we survived in advance, we're on to another week with some of these guys, as cold as we ran, I just can't emphasize this enough. The floor that we got from Dalvin, Kamara, and McCaffrey just is, is exactly why you want to jam in these running backs. And it's, exa- it's literally the reason that we made money yesterday. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Marvin Jones, I thought, yeah, 3,600, this price was just, it was a total misprice. Um, I don't know who, what the hell DraftKings was doing. And we talked about that on Friday, you know, with Chark being in the 5Ks and um, I believe Chenault was as well. For Marvin Jones to be 3,600, that's just egregious. Um, you know, ended up being 31% owned. Uh, ended up going five for 77 and one against the putrid uh, Houston defense. I, I mean, the Jags, they are just terrible. Uh, they got their shit pounded in by the Texans. They lost 37 to 21. Um, I don't even know how they gave up 37 points. Uh, how the Texans score 37 points when Mark Ingram gets 26 carries um, is, is just beyond me. But Marvin Jones scoring 18.7 at 3,600 was a total smash. Um, yeah, and there's there's people out there like, oh, Marvin Jones wasn't a good play. He's old, you know, the age model, all that. It's like, he was 3,600. If he was 5K, sure. But 3,600 is just too cheap. Yeah, and I think one thing that we failed to mention on Friday was the player props for these, these receivers. Marvin Jones, despite being the cheapest DraftKings receiver, Visco was 5K and I think Chark was 58. 3,600, Marvin Jones had a higher receiving prop than LaVisca and Shark. It was like 56 and a half or something like that, which was higher than guys like Chase Claypool. It was higher than, I think, Odell Beckham. Um, it was higher than um, both Shark and LaVisca. Like, that, that, that's telling, right? And, I mean, I mentioned that I thought Marvin Jones was a windmill. I called two touchdowns for him. We didn't get that, but my goodness. We got 18.7 points from a 3.6K receiver. And he did get three end zone targets. So the potential was there for an even bigger game from him. Um, so, yeah, at 3.6, Marvin Jones, I was going to – I was never not going to play him. There's no way. Yep. And, and then the third wide receiver spot – so uh, we ended up going with min price Elijah Moore. And the reasoning on this play was uh, Jameson Crowder was out. He had COVID and Keelan Cole was uh, ruled inactive uh, before the game. And it's like, all right, so all they have now is Corey Davis as their wide receiver one, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, Braxton Berrios, and Jeff Smith. I'm like, all, right, all these guys are just jabronis outside of, and Corey Davis isn't even, you know, a true alpha. He's he's a he's a wide receiver too. He's not um, someone who's going to command a ton of targets uh, in an offense. So you know, I, Elijah Moore is a awesome prospect out of Ole Miss, and at, you know he ended up having 92 air yards. He only had four targets, but he had 92 air yards. I believe he got targeted, and there was a um, I think he had like a 22 yard catch, and it was called back to illegal formation or some shit like that. Um, so, I mean, we ran ice cold with Elijah Moore. And so the decision was either Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore. Um, and, you know, 
we were wrong on this one. Uh, if you look at it from the from the results standpoint, uh, you know, Rondell scored like 10.8 and Elijah scored 0.7. Um, I don't think we made the wrong process decision, though. I think the only edge that Rondell Moore had over Elijah was the game environment. Outside of that, I think Elijah Moore was going to be projected for more targets and higher upside targets, too. Elijah Moore's ADOT in this game was 22. Um, you know, Rondale, we know, is going to be close to line scrimmage and locked into the slot. So uh, it was a tight decision, but we ended up on the wrong side uh, on this one. Yeah, I agree with the process call. I still think that Elijah, once we got the Crowder and the Keelan Cole news, that locked Elijah more into what did he end up playing, like 82% of the snaps or something like that. Right. And we can talk through the process a little bit. So Elijah Moore locked into the at least the wide receiver two role. Um, we knew he was going to play snaps. And I think we both agree that he is a better player than Rondell Moore. At least we think that as a prospect. Um, yes, the game environment wasn't as good, but there's no DeAndre Hopkins on the Jets. Like you mentioned, Corey Davis is a wide receiver two. He's definitely not an alpha. So you have to take into account that there is DeAndre Hopkins on the Cardinals. And you, it's, it was not unreasonable to project that Rondale Moore could have been the fourth or fifth highest targeted player on his own team. Christian Kirk, we knew was going to be involved. They clearly like A.J. Green, the corpse of what's left of A.J. Green. Hmm. And then Chase Edmonds out of the backfield is always going to have a solid target share as well. So it wasn't unreasonable to think that he could have been the fifth option on this team, despite having a much better quarterback in Tyler Murray than Zach Wilson. And the game environment was better. But Elijah Moore as the locked-in number two option on a team that we were pretty sure was going to be losing on a team that is lack, lacking any kind of alpha wide receiver with a backfield that is just completely atrocious. So, and Elijah Moore is a great prospect. We love his, his potential going forward. And, yeah, whether – even though there was some variance that didn't pay off, you know – I'm completely fine with this process play and I would do it again. Yeah. And I think the other thing um, you know, maybe should have considered in this, uh, in the decision between Elijah or Rondale was that Elijah Moore's quarterback is a rookie going into his first game. Rondale Moore's quarterback is Kyler Murray is a total stud. So, you know, that, that's just kind of the other thing that you had to, we have to consider. Um, it was tight. It was a really tight decision, but I think Elijah was the, the sharper play didn't end up working out, but um, yeah. And Elijah ended up being 31 and a half percent owned. Rondale was, I believe around 8%. So um, yeah, yeah th the field side of what was there as well. So over to tight end Kyle Pitts, you know, we know this, this guy is probably the best prospect to come out since Mike Ditka, uh, you know, drafted fourth <laughs> overall by the Falcons. He ended up, um, I believe he ended up running a route on like 80% of dropbacks, something like that. He was split out wide a little bit. Um, so the usage was perfectly fine. 4,400. He ended up being 56% owned, easily the highest owned tight end on the slate. He ended up going four for 31, so kind of a floor game for him, only scoring 7.1 points. Um, you know, but the Falcons got smoked at home. Uh, they, they just look out of sorts right now. Um, I expected something better from – yeah, from the Falcons, I think, believe they were three-point favorites here at home against the Eagles with a, like a 26-and-a-half implied total for the Falcons, and they just completely shit the bed, scored six points. 
and Kyle Pitts hit his floor, you know, at, with the Falcons. So um, it kind of is what it is. 4,400 is too cheap for Kyle Pitts. If he's 4,400 again next week, you just play him again. Yeah. It, even for me, who, like, uh, I'm a guy who never wants to pay more than, like, 3.5K at tight end, I ended up playing Pitts because the prospects of fading a guy with that kind of uh, that kind of athleticism, that kind of talent, that kind of prospect profile, at a 4.4k price tag and in, in a what seemingly was a great game environment was just too too scary for me to fade. And even this week, he hit his floor. I think he still had seven targets, which is completely fine. That offense, you know, they they laid an egg. Like, what are we gonna say? Um, yeah, he had a floor game, and we've already seen he's been priced up. I think he's 5,200 this week. Okay. which is probably what he should have been last week. And I don't think that we'll see Kyle Pitts under 5K again this year, um, if I were to guess. So, yeah, we knew he was going to be the highest or the second highest known player on the slate. It was either going to be him or Callaway all week. And the prospects of him hitting a ceiling game or, or not even a ceiling game, just having a, a median game at this price tag was pretty scary to fade. And tight end is just a wasteland, as we know anyway. Finding any kind of, you know, solid production elsewhere is <laughs> – I mean, you're really pulling strings unless you're going up to Kelsey or Kittle. Um, so, yeah, I'm completely fine with this play again. And it's just another example of a floor game that we ended up hitting. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, we consider going down to, you know, Conklin at 2,900. And Conklin was – he was a better play. Um point per dollar end up being, you know, better play than, than pits. And it's just another reason that it, it's probably best is to punt off yeah. tight end. Um, so another position we love to punt over at defense, we end up going the Falcons at 2k, you know, Jalen hurts, you know, last year, um, it, who knows? I mean, it basically the reason we played the Falcons is they were 2k. They made everything else fit and they were as a home favorite. So it, whenever you can get a defense that's mid price as a home favorite, you just kind of rolled it. And, um, you know, we ended up playing them against Jalen Hurts, our quarterback that we played in the same lineup. You know, in general, you don't really want to do that. But if they're 2K, home favorite, they kind of make it all fit whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's really all it was. They made it all fit. The only other defense I looked at was the Bills at 2,500. Obviously, that did not fit this build. And the Falcons and the Bills projected within, like, a tenth of a point of each other, too from what I was seeing. So it just made things fit. We never really overthink defense. I'm usually going to play defense. It's 2,500 or less. If they're men price, they're men price. Like I really don't care. It's kind of just a defense. You just slot in. And if you get a couple points from them, then that that's fine. Like whatever. It, it really is just about what, what makes everything else fit. So we never are going to really think too far into what defense we're playing. Right. Yeah. So all in all, um, you know, we snuck in the line of cash for 1-0 on the season, um, you know, and we just kind of survived in advance or barely got by by the skin of our teeth. And But it doesn't matter. In double-ups, you finish first, you double your money, you finish, you know, one point in the line of cash, you still double your money. So um, a win's a win, and we're moving on to week two. So with that, we'll be back on Friday night breaking down the week two main slate on DraftKings. I believe it's a 13-gamer. There's a couple of juicy games on there uh, with some totals over 52, I believe. I saw the uh, Chargers and Cowboys should be a fun week two slate. Um, 
and we'll be back on Friday to break break down all of week two. Um, until then, good luck, everybody.